0: The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Go ahead and open your Bible to Genesis chapter 1. should be the very first page in your Bible, so not that hard to find. If you're using your YouVersion app, you can follow along with us uh, there as well. One of the things that I only just noticed last week, and you've probably been doing it longer than this, but uh, last Sunday afternoon, I went into the Version app, and I saw that there were all sorts of people that had highlighted verses while we were talking about them, because I could do the math and figure out when they were doing that in the Version app. And I think that's awesome. Like for you to interact with God's word um, is exactly uh, what we want here at Westway Christian Church. So, we've tried to make that really easy for you um, to be able to do that. Uh, for the next 10 weeks now, we are in the midst of this series called How the Bible Works. A few weeks ago, we talked about how the Bible's trustworthy, how we can have confidence, how we can have historical confidence in the book itself. And then last week, we talked about how the Bible was timeless and timely. And we constructed this series. Um, to lead us into what we're going to be talking about over the summer, which is a series on the book of Revelation. Notice that there's no S in that. Um, We're going to be talking about the book of Revelation later this summer. And as we were having this conversation in staff meetings and um, Becky and I were talking about it, uh, Revelation talks about the return of Christ. But why why did Christ come the first time was this question that she uh, presented to me. So we decided that we were going to cover all 66 books of the Bible in 12 weeks. And we came up with a series called How, does the, how the Bible Works. And, and here's what that means. Um, how does the Bible function to reveal the realities of God to confront the realities of men? So, the, so when we say how, the, how does the Bible work, what we mean is how does the Bible function to demonstrate and to reveal God's reality in the way that God confronts our own realities. One of the things that I have wanted for a really long time is a Bible that doesn't have any chapter or verse divisions. And this hit me again late last year. I was reading and studying, and as I was reading from one chapter to the next, and if you look in the New Testament, uh, especially paul 's letters sometimes you 'll scratch your head at why why someone ended a chapter here and began it there, kind of in the middle of a thought. so I decided in that moment i 'm done thinking about finding a Bible that does this i 'm now going to find one and then i 'm going to order it and It took me to this uh, to this this I hate to call the Bible a product, but it 's a product um, a product by by Tyndall House. Uh, called Immerse. And what, what they have done, um, I'm, not trying to tell, I'm not trying to get you to buy this. Okay, this, I'm not uh, paid for by Tyndall House. But Tyndall House has developed this Bible called Immerse, and it's a reader's Bible. And what they've done is they've removed all of the chapter and verse divisions, and they've just kind of presented it in a, in a single column format. At the top of the page, you can see what the texts they're talking about. So you can follow along with this Bible, they devoted, they they separated it into six um, six different books. The first is Beginnings. And this is actually where we got the series, the idea for the series titles that we're doing. The first is called Beginnings. And then there's Kingdoms. And then Prophets. And then you have Poets, Chronicles, and then finally, the entire New Testament is in this volume called Messiah. So we've broken up the series following this model and how the Bible works to do different things. And what we talked about last two weeks, as I said, was kind of establishing the foundation. And I know that that's pretty boring. It can be boring to know where the Bible came from and, and, and why does that matter? Why do we have to talk about things like manuscript evidence? Well, we want to have confidence in it. We want to be able to trust it. And then we have to ask the question, how does it apply to my life? And that again, that's last week. Timeless and timely. The Bible is not some book that was written 2,000 years ago that doesn't matter for our lives today. That's what our culture wants us to think. But that's not what the Bible is. So today we're going to talk about how the Bible works to tell us our origin story. To tell us where we came from. And over the, next, over the next 10 weeks or so, as we go through all 66 books of the Bible, there are probably going to be things that I talk about that you wish I wouldn't. And there are probably going to be things that I don't talk about that you wish I would. And here's what I want to encourage you to do as you wrestle with that tension. That's why we have small groups. That's why we have Bible studies. That's why we have Sunday school classes. That's why the, the YouVersion app exists is is for you to dig in deeper. And my hope as we, as we do like a, a 60,000 foot view of the Bible over the next 10 weeks, my hope is that your curiosity is peaked and you wanna dig deeper. So there are gonna be things that we only just allude to and you're gonna have questions. Now you can ask us a question. We want you to ask a question. If you have one at any point during the message, you can just text the word questions to the number that's on the screen. And then we talk about those questions on Tuesdays at 11.15. But we want to encourage you to ask questions. We want to encourage you to get involved in a small group and in a Bible study. Because we can't, even even if we did the Bible line by line, which we would never be able to finish it, probably in 10 lifetimes, you would still have questions. I would still have questions. So we want to encourage you to use that. So, like I said, today we're talking about an origin story. What's an origin story? I love the Marvel Creative Universe stories. Okay, I just love everything Marvel. Iron Man, Incredible Hulk. My latest now is WandaVision on Disney Plus. It's fascinating. And it started out so slow, but now it's starting to tell this amazing story. And one of the things that, that I think Marvel does really well in their, in their origin stories is they're constantly recreating characters in a way that's consistent with what's already been learned. And I think if we were to read through the Bible, we would see that what the Bible is doing is the Bible is constantly revealing the realities of God as they confront the realities of man in a new and different way. So the Bible is constantly telling the same story in a different way, each time giving us a little bit more information about who God is, and each time giving us a little bit more information about who we are. And as we go through all of these volumes over the next 10 weeks, you're going you're to see that. And, and here's what an origin story does for us. It reveals really four different things. It reveals who we are, where we came from, how we got here, and lastly, what are we here for? That's what an origin story does, and each one of us wrestles with those same questions. Who are we? Where did we come from? How did we get here, and what are we here for? Let's read Genesis chapter 1 together. This will be on the screen as well, but I'd love for you to follow along. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And God saw, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. Then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens. God called the space sky. And evening passed and morning came, marking the second day. Then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. God called the dry ground land and the waters seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kind of plants and trees from which they came. And that is what happened. The land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees with seed-bearing fruit. Their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the third day. Then God said, let the lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that is what happened. God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day and the smaller one to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set these lights in the sky to light the earth to govern the day by, and night, to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the fourth day. Then God said, let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. Then God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. An evening passed and morning came, marking the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind. Livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground and wild animals. And that is what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw it was good. Then God said, let us make human beings in our own, in our image to be like us. They'll reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I've given every green plant as food for the wild animals, the birds in the sky and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what has happened. Then God looked over all he had made. He saw that it was very good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. couple things we need to know regarding origin stories and our own origin story. In Genesis 1-1, God tells us every single thing that we need to know about everything we see. He made it. He made it all. He created everything. This verse, verse 1 in the book of the Bible, summarizes everything. Everything that is going to follow over the next two chapters from Genesis it says that the earth is formless and empty. There's no purpose. There's no order. When God said this, that he created everything initially, there's no purpose. There's no order. There's chaos. The, the, the earth itself is covered with deep and chaotic seas. There's no inhabitants. There's no way to live on this planet. So this is what God does. He brings order to this chaos. First, he's going to form things, and then he is going to fill things. And I want you to think about those two words, form and fill, as we talk for the rest of Of our time together today. God is going to form and fill. Notice on day one that the light of God addresses the dark. The first thing that God does with his presence is he addresses the dark. He himself is the light. And when we eventually get to this in Revelation, we're going to see as the sun and the moon cease to exist, there's still light. And that light comes from God himself. So God addresses the darkness with his presence of light. He gives us something that we call time. On day two, God separates the waters. Early ancient Near Eastern people believed that there were waters above and waters below. And there were because God has divided it this way. God has taken all of the waters that once covered everything on the ground and he has separated them. He's given them form. And what he's done is he's placed something that we call sky in between them. On day three, God brought the ground up from the water. And then as a bonus, this ground produced vegetation. That's what it says. The ground produced vegetation. It just came up out Of the ground. So we see the very first three days of creation, we see God forming something. There's light, there's the separation of waters, and then there's ground. But I don't want you to miss the work that God is doing. God, in a very subtle way, is creating boundaries for things, God is creating separation. God is Separating the waters. He's bringing up ground. He's creating light. He's creating darkness. God is creating boundaries because boundaries are good when it comes to order from chaos. This theme of boundaries is something that we're going to see throughout scripture. We ask God, why did he give us laws? Why did he give us rules? Doesn't God want us to have any fun No, God is establishing boundaries for us because boundaries provide order out of chaos. So God has just spent three days. And when I say spent three days, what I mean is he spoke these things into existence. Okay? He wasn't wasn't working in the way that we think of work. God created all of these things With his word. Speaking them into existence. He's formed them. And now what he's going to do. Is he's going to fill this earth. That he has just formed. Pay attention to the order of days. In day four. Two lights appear in the sky. The sun by day. And the moon by night. That corresponds with day one. Do you see that? Day one. Let there be light. Day four. Sun And moon forming and then filling the earth day two. separating the waters. Now that they're separated, now that they're formed, what is God going to do? He is going to fill the waters. He's going to fill the sky. That's what God does on day five. He puts fish in the sea and birds in the air. He forms it. And then he fills it. And then day six, the ground is covered and formed with vegetation and animals of every kind then become bursting forth out of the ground. So God has formed the ground on day three, and now he is going to fill the ground on day six. But like the bonus on day three where the vegetation came out of the ground, God does something special on day six. He forms mankind. He says this, let us make human beings in our own image to be like us, to reign over it all, to be fruitful and to multiply, to govern and enjoy. As we think about our origin story, where did we come from? How did we get here? What's my purpose? God is answering all of those questions in this very first chapter of the book of Genesis. We came from God. We have a purpose to govern, to lead. And then, like the kings of old, when they would, when they would establish their kingdom, they would rest. And what, what Moses is doing here when he's when he's describing this scene, when he's writing this scene down to us, is he's he's playing into this mindset of, of a king at rest after a hard day's work. Isn't that what you do when you go home at the end of your work day? Is you rest. See, this is this is what this is what God is doing after six days of creation. He is resting. And it's not because he was tired. God was resting to be an example and to show us what we ought to do, how we ought to live our lives. He's pointing to a, to a time that's going to come in the future where we are all going to find rest. Where our work and our labors and our efforts are going to be done when we have formed and when we have filled with our lives, we are eventually going to rest. And we're going to read this here in a second, but notice that day seven has no end. We are, in some ways, living in this space of day seven where God is, where God is resting in and we can find rest in him. What we see at the end of Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to see it again at the end of Genesis chapter 2, is a perfect world. Is, an world. is a world that's been brought from chaos to order, from formed to filled. It's going to be the world that God has intended it. It's going to be a world of abundance. It's going to be a world of flourishing. It's going to be a world of harmonious beauty. Exactly as God has intended it. I want you to think about something as, you, as we read through Genesis 1 and Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 1 and 2 is not concerned with the how. Genesis 1 and 2 is concerned with the who being God and the why of creation. Genesis 1 and 2 is not about the how. And I think sometimes as Christians, we get, we get so wrapped up in this how. How did he do it? How did he do it? How did he do it? And that's not the story that, that the writer of Genesis is telling us. He's not, In a way he is. He says God created it. God spoke it into existence. But all of the questions that we bring to bear in our lofty 21st century, scientific, enlightenment-minded people. The Bible's not concerned with that. The Bible's concerned with the who of creation. That's why the very first words of the Bible are, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. It's concerned with the why of creation. Why are we here to work the soil to tend one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Hebrews 11, verse 3. And I don't have it on the screen. And because my Bibles don't have chapter and verses in it, you're going to have to bear with me while I find this. See how that works? I'll just paraphrase it to you. It's Hebrews 11, 3. The writer of Hebrews says, It is by faith that we trust that God made everything out of nothing. That's the Mulholland paraphrase. It is by faith that we trust that God created everything out of nothing. Here's what that means, Christian friends. We cannot prove the six days of creation. Scientifically, it can't be proven. We accept this by faith. We accept it by faith. Doesn't that free you up from having to get into this big scientific argument with people? You know what? I don't have to know how God did it. What would it be like for you to say, I don't have to know how God did it. It says spoke it into existence. I have no idea what that means, but I'm just going to believe what Genesis 1 says. I'm just going to act in faith on that. I'm not going to try and convince you of something. I'm not going to get into this argument with you. See, this is an opportunity for us to demonstrate faith. I believe in a six-day creation. Because that's what the Bible says, and I believe it because of faith. I don't know how God did it. He's God. I'm not. There are so many questions that I have about that. This is one of those things in the Bible that I hope there is there's like a like a DVD version of creation. So when we get to heaven, like... In five minutes, you're going to see creation. So go and watch how this happens. Like, wouldn't that be cool? Like, I want to see that video. And, and if there's not one, I'm probably not going to care. But I want to see that video. I want to know. But the Bible is not concerned with the how beyond it being spoken into existence. And I want to encourage you that creation is presented to us as an object of, as something that we are to, be, to have faith about. I'm not a scientist. I, like there are questions I can't answer. And because that's not something that the Bible concerns itself with, I wonder what it would be like for us to not concern ourselves with it. To not be so anxious over what it has to say because it's a matter of faith. So in Genesis chapter 1, we see, we see all things being formed and we see all things being filled. And in Genesis chapter 2, we're going to see something very similar to that. Let's read Genesis 2 together. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed on the seventh day. God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. So I said I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to step away from this for a second. Um, Isn't this just a great example of a break between chapters not making any sense? Right? Chapter 1, day 1, day 2, day 3, day 4, day 5, day 6. Let's put a chapter break in here. And now let's talk about day 7. Okay, back to the text. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. This is the account of the heaven of the creation of the heavens and the earth. When the Lord God made the earth and heavens, neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth. For the Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth, and there were no people to cultivate the soil. Instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. See that word formed. He breathed life into the man's nostrils and the man became a living person. Then the Lord God planted a garden in in Eden in the east. And there he planted, placed the man that he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the garden and then dividing into four branches. The first branch called the Bashan flowed around the entire land of Havilah where gold is found. The gold of that land is exceptionally pure. Aromatic resin and onyx stone are also found there. The second branch, called the Gahan, flowed around the entire land of Cush. The third branch, called the Tigris, flowed east of the land of Ashur. The fourth branch is called the Euphrates. Then the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you're sure to die. There's a boundary, by the way. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky and all the wild animals. But there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. I want you to see here in Genesis chapter two that concept of forming and filling. We go from Genesis one where the earth is formed to now it has a name. The specific place is called Eden. In Genesis chapter one, we see that man is formed and then man has a name Adam. This is not another origin story, it's not another creation narrative. All things were made by God, but I want you to notice that, that only man receives breath from God. Man is formed. Out of the dirt and then filled with the very breath of God. I want you to see that that man is made for work. Which bothers some of us. We were made for work. The work is, is to tend. The Hebrew word there means toil and work. The man is made to watch over the garden. This means to keep it and guard it. See, the purpose of man is to bring order to chaos. And if you've ever tended a garden, if you do not tend it, you will have chaos. You will have weeds that come up all over the place. The purpose of mankind is to bring order to chaos, to rule over things, and help them flourish and to govern God's word. That's our purpose for existence. That's why God made us. One of the interesting things about the Bible, and especially those two words of tend and watch, is there's only two other places in the entire Old Testament where those words are used together: tend and watched. And they're both found. In the book of Numbers. And they're both about. The priest's duties. In the tabernacle. So as. As we think about. What the role is of the priest. In the tabernacle and the temple. It's to tend and watch. Tend and watch. The role of the priests. Was to tend. And to watch. And this isn't something that's. That 's an accident. see the Bible is timeless and timely, and that 's why we talked about that last week so there's so there's something for us in this in First Corinthians three and then in First Peter two, we read that all Christians have a role in maturing the body of Christ. All Christians have a role in tending and watching over the body of Christ. All of us have that role. It's not just the role of pastors. It's not just the role of elders. It's the role of each and every one of us. We have the responsibility to care for the spiritual house of the Lord. It's my job as a Christian, and it's your job as a Christian to care for the spiritual maturity of the church. So we too have work in the church. We have things that we are called to do. And the way that we talk about those things here at Westway is really simple. Give, gather, serve, and go. That's how we work in the church. We give generously. We gather. And that might be here in the 1015. That might be in small groups or Bible studies. But we gather We serve and that serve might be here within our body and it might be outside of our body. We might serve our community. Like right now, we are gathering food for WNCC, for their food shelf, for their food pantry. It's a way for us to serve. And then lastly, we go. The purpose of the Christian life is not just to all come in here, sing songs together, hear a TED talk. And go home and not do anything with what we have been, with what we've heard. We are to take this message of the gospel. We are to take this origin story out into the world and tell people why they were made. Because if there is one, and there's a lot of things going on in 21st century America right now. But if, we were to, if, we, if I were to pinpoint it, if you were to say, John, what, what do you think the number one issue is in 21st century America? I would tell you it's people don't know who they are in God. That's the, I think that's the number one issue. Pick any, any cultural issue. And you can boil it down to not finding my identity in God and finding my identity in every other thing but God. Listen to the way people talk about themselves. Who are you? I work at identity. I voted for identity. This is who I want my sexual partner to be identity. This is my gender identity. See, God is painting a different story for us. He's telling us who we are in him, and he's calling us to do something. But we're not just made for work, we're made for community. That's why this, that's why this matters. And that's why, if you notice, God made someone to be a, a partner of Adam. Because there was something that was incomplete about Adam as the image of God. When God made man, man was made in the image of God. Individually, I am made in God's image. Individually, you are made in God's image. But notice that that God put Adam into a community. Because there was something different about that community that that more fulfilled the image of God. That's where the concept of the Christian concept of the Trinity comes from. I don't know if you noticed it, but, but God said, let us make man in our image. See, when it's just me as the image of God, I'm missing something. When it's just you as the image of God, you're missing something. So God, is, God has created this community for us so that we would image God together as one body. And that's why we talk about this all the time. Like The way we are together is a proclamation of the gospel. The way we interact with one another the way we pray with one another, the way we spend time together with one another, the way we eat with one another, the way, we do, the way we watch the Mandalorian together with one another. Like all of these things are proclamations of the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm not a Christian on my, I mean, I am a Christian on my own, but I was built for community. And so were you. And that's why we talk about small groups. So we talk about Bible studies. Because we were made for community. And what God desires for us. and I'm, God desires for us. To be naked and unashamed together. And don't. This is not a cult. What God desires for us is for us to be known by one another. What God desires for us is to be loved by one another and to be accepted by one another. Were Adam and Eve physically naked? Yes, they were. But I don't know about you, but how many times when you read the Bible, don't you think maybe there's something else going on here? This is speaking maybe a little bit deeper truth than what I'm aware of. So when the writer of Genesis says that they were naked and unashamed, that it wasn't just about clothes. They were fully known to one another. And this is the relationship that God is calling us to be together. Fully known. Not embarrassed of our stories. Not not ashamed of who we were before Christ to the point where we can't be honest with each other. Not so caught up in being found out by someone else that we can't love, for, love one another and care for one another and be present with one another. God wants us to be accepting of one another. He wants us to be metaphorically. He wants us to be naked and unashamed together. So that when, when, when we walk into small group, we can just talk about what's going on in our lives. And we're not going to find judgment. I might find accountability. But I won't find judgment. I wonder what that would be like for us to live, live that out. These first two chapters of the Bible are the foundation for everything that we will read in the Bible. If we get these first two chapters wrong, and I don't just mean the six days of creation order. If we miss our origin story. If we miss the why and the who of God in Genesis 1 and 2. Every other thing that we read in this book will be wrong. You won't understand it. So what God has done is he's brought order to chaos. He's formed and he's filled. And at the end of Genesis chapter two, we see a world, the world as God intended, abundant and flourishing and filled and good. But here's the thing. If that's true, what happened? I don't know what you experience, When you walk out these doors on a Sunday morning, but it sure isn't order. It sure isn't human flourishing. It sure isn't abundance, although there are hints of those things. That's why we're going to talk next week about how the Bible works to tell us what went wrong. Because as as much as the Bible works to tell us our origin story, who we are, why we were created, what we were created for, the Bible also tells us what went wrong. And we live in a culture and a society that doesn't want to listen to what the Bible tells us about what went wrong. We want to come up with 82 million other reasons why the world is faulty. And usually it's everyone else. Have you noticed that? But the Bible has something to tell us. And because it's trustworthy and timeless and timely, we ought to listen to it. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful that you have created us with a purpose. You've created us to be your image bearers. And we do that individually, and we do that as a community. You have created us to bring order to the chaos that surrounds us. And we can only do that when we remember who we are. Who we are in you. Who you have made us out to be. Who you have called us. Who you have named us. And the way that you have identified us. And when we seek identity in any other thing, we are falling short of what you have for us. God, I'm thankful that you have called us to be in community with one another. You didn't just set us here on our own. You set us together. You have formed us and you have filled us us to live in that hope. And it's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.